Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 26. We'll take a break from Luke this morning. Matthew chapter 26. You know, job interviews are a special kind of challenge, aren't they? Most of us would probably like to go through the rest of our lives without ever enduring another job interview. One of the special challenges is uh, how to admit human weakness, which we've probably already said in our resume we don't have, without appearing to be weak. Nobody wants to hire someone who thinks he's perfect, but then again, no one wants to hire someone with admitted problems. <clears throat> so the job interview, the exchange uh, might go like this. The interviewer says, tell me about your greatest weaknesses. The applicant says, well, I think my greatest weakness is my drive uh, for excellence. I really had to work at this to be able to stop and smell the roses while maintaining the high quality of my work. Translation, I don't have any weaknesses, but I'm appropriately humble. I've got it all together. We don't like to admit weakness. We just don't. But as we look into God's word this morning, we're going to have to face up to the fact that it exists. Matthew 26. Let me read verses 31 to 35, and then we're going to skip down to verse 69. Matthew 26, 31. Then Jesus told them, that is, his disciples, This very night you will fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all, all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. Well, they went from there to uh, Galilee, out into the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed. And then Jesus, there Jesus was arrested and <clears throat> taken to a trial before the Sanhedrin. And we pick up the story again as the trial's going on with verse 69. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. It's appropriate that we consider this passage this morning as we come to the Lord's table, for that's the context in which these words were spoken. This is immediately after the Lord instituted the sacrament at the Last Supper. So what do we learn here? Uh, I think there are two exhortations coming from this incident. The first is this. Don't underestimate your weakness. Don't underestimate your weakness. 
In our society, we tend to, th to believe that to admit weakness would be to become weak. But the Bible teaches us that until we will admit our spiritual weakness, we are destined to failure. We learn this from Peter's example, which is set before us in this text. And it's worth noting that Matthew here follows almost verbatim Mark's account of this incident. And Mark's account is almost certainly Peter's account told to Mark who wrote it down. In other words, Peter himself wants us to learn from his disastrous mistake, don't underestimate your weakness. Notice Peter's overconfidence in the face of Jesus' warning. We see it in verses 33 to 35. Peter says, even if all fall away, I won't. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this very night, before the rooster crows, You'll deny me three times. But Peter says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. William Hendrickson points out three deadly elements in Peter's attitude here. First of all, there's unbelief. Jesus says, you will fall away on account of me. And Peter says, in effect, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. That's not true. He didn't believe. Jesus. Secondly, we see in Peter disdain. Peter was willing to admit that all those other disciples might stoop so low, but never would he fall. He showed disdain for his fellow disciples, which, by the way, is a common characteristic of those who underestimate their own weakness. Others are weak, but not me. And then thirdly, he showed overconfidence or conceit. Peter had a swelled head here. The more he talked, the better he sounded in his own mind. In verse 33, he says he'll never fall away. But by the time he gets down to verse 35, he's saying not only will he never disown Jesus, he will die with Jesus if necessary. But of course, in spite of Peter's certainty that he knew better than Jesus... And that he was better than the other disciples. And that his faithfulness could never be shaken even by death. When the chips were down, Peter disowned the Lord. That's what the Spirit warns us of in 1 Corinthians 10. If you think you are standing firm, be careful lest you fall. Don't underestimate your weakness. In the church, we, like the culture around us, disdain weakness. But we set one another up for failure, folks, when we press each other into a pretense of invulnerability. We ought not glorify overconfidence in the face of a warning like this. Yet, as you've probably observed many times, as I have, in church, people often act as if Christians don't have problems. Be careful about such self-confidence. Christians are capable of every kind of sin. Every kind of sin. 
don't underestimate your own weakness. I admit I wince a little every time I'm in an ordination service where a young man is being ordained to the ministry. For in those vows, this young minister always promises, quote, to be zealous and faithful in maintaining the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise unto you on that account. Mm. Really? Oh, such a vow is good and proper, but it could easily reflect an overconfidence in oneself and underestimation of one's weakness. So down in verses 69 to 74 that we read, the Spirit reminds us just how low we might stoop, how far it is possible for us to fall, so that we do not underestimate our weakness. There we read that Peter denied Jesus. But Peter didn't just deny Jesus. He did so after being specifically warned, after being personally singled out by the Lord and told of the impending trial. And Peter not only denied the Lord after being personally warned, he denied him three times. And Peter not only denied the Lord repeatedly, he denied him with increasing vehemence. In verse 70, Peter uses a normal form for a formal legal denial. I, didn't, I don't know this man. I, I don't know what you're talking about. But then the next time, in verse 72, Peter denies it with an oath. Something like, as God is my witness, I don't know this man. And then the third time, in verse 74, Peter calls down curses on himself. Something like, may lightning strike me where I stand if I'm not telling you the truth when I say I do not know this man. Do you see how sin gets bolder? Bolder the more you do it. Don't underestimate your weakness. But Peter did not just deny the Lord with such intensity. He denied the Lord at the very moment that Jesus' enemies were mocking him and spitting in his face and slapping him. Jesus was undergoing that distress and that disgrace at the hands of his enemies inside the building. While Peter, his dear friend, is betraying him out in the courtyard. And after that last denial, the rooster crowed, and Peter realized what he had done. He remembered Jesus' warning, and he went outside and wept bitterly. He had underestimated his own weakness. Folks, you and I are no better than Peter. You might stoop just as low in denying the Lord. Perhaps you already have. It's easy for us to sit here and look pious. But every one of us has dark failures which should remind us of how weak we really are and warn us of the possibility of turning away. Do not underestimate how weak you really are. 
That's the first truth. Then there's a second powerful truth. Don't neglect God's grace. Don't neglect God's grace. Actually, these two points go together. Our recognition of our weakness will determine the extent to which we give attention to God's grace. It's kind of like having high blood pressure. You know, high blood pressure can kill you, but it can easily be controlled if you pay attention to it. And yet people keep ignoring it until they have a stroke. Because they aren't continually confronted with disagreeable symptoms, it's easy to disregard this weakness, this hypertension. But if you understand the weakness, you'll give attention to the solution for the weakness. And that's what we have here. Don't underestimate your weakness and don't neglect God's grace. Now, at first, this passage looks only like an account of Peter's terrible failure. But if you look closely, there are three hints, I think, of encouragement here. Three places where we can see the grace of God shining through a little bit, shining through what would otherwise be a very, very bleak picture, indeed. These three hints of God's grace apply to us, too. The first is this. We can see God's grace here in that Jesus knows our struggle. Jesus knows our struggle. Notice that according to verse 31, Peter's temptation does not come as a surprise to Jesus. It may have come as a surprise to Peter, but it did not come as a surprise to Jesus. Jesus predicted it. He did so by quoting uh, the prophecy of Zechariah 13, 7. There the scriptures predict exactly such a struggle as Peter encountered. When the shepherd is stricken, the sheep will tend to scatter. Clearly, God saw this coming. And that's not the only place where God says such things. I I love that passage in Psalm 103 where it speaks of God knowing our frame. He knows we are but dust. But we try to play these macho games with God. No sweat, God. I'm cool. I've got it all together. And God is saying, no, you don't. I know you better than you know yourself. Watch out. You're going to be tempted. The struggle is coming. The war is inevitable. Such a warning is not a put down. It is evidence of the grace of God. It is preparation for the struggle so that we might not be defeated. Don't ignore God's grace. I know you hate to struggle. We all hate to struggle. We don't like being weak. Why doesn't God take that away from me? This morning I call you to stop fighting God and stop blaming God and stop being discontented that you're weak and begin to listen and learn from him how you might know his grace in the middle of your weakness. The weakness that God has left you in. Second uh, hint of God's grace here is uh, seen in that Jesus provides a means of strength. Jesus provides a means of strength. Between Peter's overconfidence in verse 33 and Peter's first failure in verse 70, there's an important, crucial event. Look at verse 41. 
when they're in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus found Peter sleeping rather than praying in the garden, Jesus said to Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus provided Peter the means by which he might stand in the hour of temptation. God always promises to do that. Remember 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. In Peter's case, the way out was praying in the garden just as it was for Jesus. In fact, we have here a very pointed contrast. Jesus prayed bitterly in the garden and then calmly stood the test in the hour of trial. But Peter slept in the garden rather than praying and then totally fell apart in the hour of trial, not even at the threat of prosecution or persecution, but at the question of a servant girl. As I once heard someone say, prayer is not preparation for the battle. Prayer is the battle. Don't ignore the grace of God by which he provides you strength for your weakness. So are you availing yourself of the means of grace which God has given us? It's not just prayer. It's the hearing of his word the sacraments, the fellowship of God's people. Oh, we would love to have it some other way, to have some other stance, to be self-sufficient, where we can just do whatever we please. We would love to somehow not be cast so desperately not on the Lord, not be so needy, not be a perpetually a child seek needing his wisdom and his strength, always on an allowance, never self-sufficient. We would love it to be some other way, but folks, there's no such place to stand. The vain confidence in self, which comes so easy to us, is destined for failure. Victory, the power for holy living, is only to be found in our brokenness and utter dependence upon God's grace. Don't ignore the grace of God. It's the only thing by which we can stand. When the Apostle Paul learned this, he went so far as to say that he boasted in his weakness. Because in his weakness, he then knew God's strength. We read what he said in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in, in, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then... I'm strong. You see, what we need is not to be delivered from our weakness, 
but to learn to take advantage of the means by which God communicates his grace to us, by which we learn to know his strength. We must learn to watch and pray. Recently, I've been really enjoying a particular song. I probably have played it three or four hundred times by now, I guess, I don't know, by a musician uh, who's new to me named Gordon Moat. The song is made more poignant by the fact that this man is blind, but in my mind, uh, the song is really about me. (laughs) Here's some of the lyrics. I thought I had done a lot on my own. I thought I could make it through this world all alone. And I thought of myself as a mighty, mighty big man. But I can't even walk without you holding my hand. I can't even walk without you holding my hand. The mountain's too high. The valley's too wide. It's down on my knees that I learn how to stand. Because I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Finally, thirdly, we see God's grace in the fact that Jesus promises restoration. Jesus promises restoration. Even while Jesus was warning Peter about what was coming, he was also looking beyond Peter's denial and beyond his own death and pointed his disciples to his resurrection and the resultant renewal which he would bring them. That's hinted at in verse 32 where Jesus says, But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. This is important. For this is the pinnacle of God's grace. For you see, Peter did underestimate his weakness. And he did ignore God's gracious warning. And he did disregard God's provision for strength. So now what's he going to do? Well, note what he does not do. He does not say, well, yeah, I guess it's just like Jesus said. I mean, what will be, will be. No. He understood the guilt of his denial, and he wept bitterly in repentance. We dare not miss the depth of his failure and the weight of his guilt. In fact, what's the difference between Peter and Judas? I'm sure Peter thought he was the betrayer too. He was. Perhaps you are too. In despair, Judas killed himself. His self-help options had run out. But in his grace, Jesus restored Peter just as he had promised. Remember the incident on the shores of Galilee? We, We looked at it not that many weeks ago. When Jesus met his disciples there and had breakfast with them after his resurrection, in that uh, time he singles out Peter. He looks at Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? And use that wonderful word, agapao or agape love. Three times he made Peter reply, just like Peter had denied him three times. He kept asking him. Peter got rather miffed, actually, that he kept asking him. 
Only this time, Peter could not even bring himself to say the same word Jesus said, the word for love. All three times Peter used a lesser word. Yes, Lord, you know I have affection for you. You know I like you. Peter was humbled in the dust. His overconfidence was gone. He knows his weakness. He is broken before the Lord. That's a painful place for us to be, you know? That's a really painful place for us to be. But folks, until you are there, you are useless to the Lord. Useless to the Lord. Don't disdain the struggle. Don't run from the brokenness. Run to Jesus. Like a frightened, weak little child seeking refuge. Restoration is his promise to us. We read it already. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Don't ignore God's grace. He restores our souls. As we come to the Lord's table, I set these two exhortations before you. Don't underestimate your weakness and don't neglect God's grace. These truths are the theme of uh, one of the greatest of Keith Green's songs. You know that I like him. It goes like this. Lord, the feelings are not the same. I guess I'm older. I guess I've changed. How I wish it had been explained that as you're growing, you must remember that nothing lasts except the grace of God by which I stand in Jesus. I know I would surely fall away except for grace by which I'm saved. Lord, I remember that special way I vowed to serve you when it was brand new. But like Peter, I can't even watch and pray one hour with you. And I bet I could deny you too. For nothing lasts except the grace of God by which I stand in Jesus I'm sure my whole life would waste away except for grace by which I'm saved. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we have trouble admitting our weakness, but you know how weak we are. And we have trouble comprehending your grace. But you know, Lord, that it's greater than we ever imagined.
that is greater than all of our sin, that where sin has increased, your grace has only increased bigger and stronger. So Lord, deliver us from this facade, this Christian facade that we tend to live in, acting as if we've got it all together and we're not really weak and we know everything we're supposed to know and we're doing all the things we're supposed to do. Grant us the grace to admit how really needy we are. But also, Lord, grant us the knowledge of a grace that runs to you and trusts in you and stands with nothing else but Jesus, confident that that's enough. We ask in his name. Amen.